My name is James Gleason, and I want to welcome you to the weekend teaching ministry of Sunrise Church here in Hillsboro, Oregon. Now, Sunrise is a church devoted to being a safe place to hear a life-changing message. And our vision is to lead people in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And so every weekend, we share a message of hope from God's Word, the Bible. Now, if you'd like to know more about discovering and growing in a relationship with the God who loves you, please take a moment to visit our website at www.isunrise.com. Now, from there, you can learn how to connect with the God who loves you. And you can learn how to grow with others along the journey of life. You can learn to develop a heart to serve the least, the last, and the lost. And finally, you can learn how to lead others to know Jesus Christ on this journey of disciples making disciples. And so now I invite you to follow along with our weekend message as you discover the heartbeat of God. I'm excited to continue on as we go through Advent and as we join with churches down through the centuries and celebrating this season, the word Advent. Advent has a, two different parts to it. There's one part that means something has already happened, is a, there's, it means arrival, but it also means coming. And there's a sense on, on both that we're looking back to focus on how Jesus came humbly uh, but, but we also remember forward, if you will. We re-remember that one day Jesus will return as a king, and he'll return triumphantly. And our desire through this season is to just kind of slow down the frantic pace that our, the culture around us seems to want us to call us into. And as we do so, to focus in and capture the depth and the beauty of the greatest gift this world has ever been given. And so we're walking through each week of these Sundays leading up to Christmas through the peace, the love, the hope, and the joy that we have in Christ and how that is good news for us and for the world around us. Today we're going to focus in on the hope we have in Christ. And we need to talk about hope because we desperately need hope. Hope matters for our souls like water matters for our bodies. Viktor Frankl, you may recognize that name. He was a Jewish doctor who survived the death camps in Germany during World War II. He came to the same conclusion when he spent time reflecting after the war on his experience in those camps. And, and he, he wanted to particularly to understand why some of the prisoners seemed to just shrivel up and die, while others remained strong under the same conditions. His conclusion was simple yet profound. If a prisoner lost hope, they were doomed. They were doomed. And he captured one particular story in his seminal book called Man's Search for Meaning. He wrote this. He said, one of my friends in the camp had a dream that the war would end on March 30th. He was convinced the dream was a revelation. But as the dates drew nearer, it became clear from the news reports that the war was not ending. On March 29, he began running a temperature. On March 30, he lost consciousness. On March 31, he was dead. And what, what Frankel wrote was his loss of hope had lowered his body's resistance to all the diseases in the camp. As Frankel powerfully observed, you literally cannot live without hope. 
Without hope, our souls shrivel up and die. And yet hope seems to be in short supply these days. It seems that cynicism, skepticism, and resignation seem more prevalent and more frequent than hope. When you think about it, at a most basic level, hope is the anticipation of good news. Could it be... Could it be that we've placed our hope in people, in possessions, in experiences that simply cannot contain our hope, cannot give the good news that we actually need? And when you think about it, if hope is the anticipation of good news, then bad news threatens our hope. For example, let's say you go in for a routine well check with your doctor and she finds a suspicious mass that could be cancer. What happens to your hope? Or you eagerly await your first ultrasound glimpse of your unborn child, but the doctor returns to give you news that your baby could have a life-threatening birth defect. Perhaps your company announces massive layoffs, and shortly thereafter, your supervisor asks to meet with you. You think you have a great marriage until out of the blue, your spouse drops a bombshell. I want a divorce. In each of these examples, hope dims as the darkness of bad news descends. Hope, I should say, darkness is disorienting. Darkness breeds fear and despair. Darkness isolates you from others, keeping you from seeing their faces, from looking into their eyes. Darkness shouts, you are all alone. The deeper the darkness, the more profoundly unsettling it is. And the longer darkness lasts, the harder it is to maintain hope. Such was the experience of the nation of Israel long ago. Israel was selected by the living God to be his chosen people. He gave them lavish promises of prosperity and worldwide influences. He poured out his love and favor on them. He gave them kind warnings and instructions to point them toward the good life found by following his ways. But like wayward children, they willfully rejected God's ways and chose their own way. God, in his kindness, would not continue providing his favor in the face of their willful sin. So he gave them bad news. Trouble would come, and soon darkness descended on them. And then, in the middle of the darkness, words of hope came from a prophet named Isaiah. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. Good news. 
Good news, really good news, is like a sudden beam of light in pitch dark. Good news brings a sense of wonder and to inspiration and hope. And hope brings rest to a weary heart. The nation of Israel heard those words from the prophet Isaiah and hope stirred in them. But the promised light spoken of by Isaiah didn't come right away. Instead, they were told to look for a sign and to wait for God's timing. Isaiah went on to write this. He said, For a child is born to us, a son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of heaven's armies will make this happen. Can you imagine their anticipation? Look for a child, they were told, a promised Messiah. Wait for him. Watch for him. Hope for him. But they didn't like waiting, just like we don't like waiting. Centuries went by, and they had nothing but a seemingly empty promise. And so they largely went on living their lives with cynicism, skepticism, and resignation, just like we often do. Until one day this happened. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, Where is this newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose and we have come to worship him. And the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. And then they opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. A star shined in the darkness and awakened the long dormant promise of the birth of a king. Once again, hope began to stir. Later, Jesus, the baby born under the star in Bethlehem, stood up in a crowd and announced these amazing words. I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you don't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. Can you imagine the anticipation and the joy that would come from the crowd as he stood up and said those words? Uh, They were going to be free. This is the Messiah here ready to deliver us from all that oppress us. But just when it seemed like a happily ever, ever ending was about to happen, the story took another dark turn. This man who called himself the light of the world who was born under the star of promise, who was that light in darkness promised years before by Isaiah, was killed, crucified by the Romans. 
And then in another surprising twist, he rose from the dead. Imagine again as their hope stirs, but also imagine a question that would arise in their hearts. It's a question that makes sense when you think about it. When the disciples asked, Lord, is this the time for you to free Israel and restore the kingdom? Is it going to happen? I mean, the disciples knew the promises of Isaiah. They had put their trust in Jesus as his promised Messiah. He had proved that to be true. And yet, let's just say they're a little gun shy because of all those promises that are left seemingly unfulfilled. Hope is hard for them, just like it's hard for us. And Jesus' answer had to have stumped them. (laughs) He replied, The Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know. (laughs) Oh, well, thank you, Jesus, I think. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the world. And then Jesus did the unimaginable After saying this, he was taken up into a cloud while they were watching and they could no longer see him. He left, buggered out, flew the coop, quite literally ghosted them. (laughs) And so, not that many days later, they're gathered in a room wondering what would happen next. When the promised spirit came down and filled them and empowered them and emboldened them and they took off out of that room and they became his witnesses in Jerusalem and then in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the world to the point that within 200 years, within a few hundred years, that entire Roman Empire was turned upside down by the good news of Jesus Christ through his witnesses. And that same spirit is alive and well today and is still changing lives. But even as we recount that story and you feel the hope, you know, stirring and the, and the drama building, we're still left with this lingering question. If Jesus is the light of the world, why do we still experience so much darkness? Things like cancer and natural disasters and war and Abuse and neglect and divorce and death. Where's the light in that? Where's the hope in that? Even we who put our trust in Jesus are tempted to land where most people do. Cynicism, skepticism, resignation. Well, one of Jesus' earliest followers called Paul, he, he gave us some important and, I'd say, vital insight into what hope actually is. When he wrote this, he said, For we all know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And we believers also groan. But that wasn't part of your invitation, right? Hey, come follow Jesus and learn how to groan. All believers in Jesus also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory. For we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. Do I have an amen from the congregation? 
We long for it. We have a sense that of what perfection is, of what our bodies are supposed to be. And it's built into us and we long for it. We groan for it. We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies he has promised us. And here's the key statement. We were given this hope when we were saved. We were given it. Hope, notice there, hope is a noun. It's not how we often use it. We say like, I hope it won't rain tomorrow, right? Or something like that. Hope is a noun. Hope was what we were given when Jesus Christ came in and saved us from our sin and adopted us into his family. Hope is a noun. And we received it. We already have it. And notice his parenthetical comment. If you already have something, you don't need to hope for it. And notice how he switched to a verb there. If you already have it, it's there. You don't need to hope for it. But if we look forward to something we don't yet have, which there he basically defines hope, we must wait patiently and confidently for it. That's hope. Paul says we experience life as a groaning, but not a groaning without purpose. Our groaning is the groaning of anticipation of good news just over the horizon. True hope grows in the darkness when you can't see. True hope increases as we trust God in the darkness and wait patiently for his promise. You see, in darkness we discover that the light Jesus promised is not the light of certainty. It's the light of faith. It's not the light of certainty. It's the light of faith. It is the light that shines in our hearts through God's promised spirit who comes and lives in those who put their trust in Jesus. Paul says we have this Holy Spirit as a foretaste of future glory. God, God receive, we receive, when we receive God's promise, it's like receiving the, a down payment or a promissory note. In other words, hope is in the promise, not in the prize. And hope grows as we cling to the promise and wait for the prize. We cling to the promise and we wait for the prize. Paul likens it to the physical and emotional groaning of a woman in childbirth. If a woman in childbirth focuses on the pain, she loses hope. But her hope grows as she waits through the pain and anticipates the arrival of that newborn baby. The hardest moment of waiting is actually near the very end, when the pain is the greatest. I still remember our, our birth coach telling my wife Amy and I about this. And, and she was very specific, specifically talking to Amy in particular. When you experience the greatest pain and feel the strongest despair, at that moment when you want to give up hope, remember, remember what that means is the baby's almost here. Hang on to hope. And then she added, when you experience the greatest pain in that moment, focus on the nearness of your baby, not the intensity of your pain. My friends, that's what it's when we say when we follow Jesus. We put our hope in Jesus rather than focusing on our struggles and, and on our and our challenges and on our troubles. We wait patiently and expectantly for his promised rescue, which could happen at any moment. Any moment. 
And so we wait patiently and expectantly for his promised rescue. Then our waiting is anything but passive. It's no accident that Jesus used light as his metaphor for his description of what putting our trust in him would look like as we wait for him. He said this, he said, you are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is is placed on a stand where it gives lights to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly father. When God's spirit shines the light of Jesus into our hearts, we become a light to the world around us through acts of love in his name, which draws the attention of others, not to us, but to the God who saved us. We simply live differently when our hope is in Jesus. Rather than getting cues from our culture as to how we live, we get cues from the spirit of Jesus living inside of us and follow a different path. Jesus' good news then fuels a hope that changes everything, including how we live out this Christmas season. You recall that one of Jesus' titles when he came is Emmanuel, which means God with us, which means hope is a person. Hope is a person. And we embody that hope through the spirit of Jesus living inside of us by faith, which emboldens us and empowers us to move into dark places. In other words, to move toward trouble, toward despair. When other people experience things like cancer, like death, like divorce, abuse, neglect, who are, when they're desperate for hope, we move toward them and we bring hope with our very presence, with the hope that we have in Christ. And when we do so, we don't necessarily take away the trouble. We are present to them in the trouble. And that's what brings hope. So my friends, my my invitation for us this Christmas is simply this. When we have hope in Christ, let's make Christmas more about offering our presence and less about buying presents. You see what I did there, right? Let's make Christmas more about offering our presents than buying presents rather than scrambling around desperately looking for a gift that will likely be quickly and easily forgotten. Let's bring our very selves to the people around us, especially to those who are experiencing hopelessness. Let's slow down. Let's shine our our lights into dark places through acts of kindness. Again, not so that they would see us, but that they would glorify our Father in heaven. Would you pray with me? Thank you, Jesus, that you are our hope, that you did not stay in heaven with with all of the rights and privileges of being God, but you shed all that. You came humbly as a baby. You loved us that much, and you still today come humbly into our lives. The invitation is simple, that, that we say, I can't do it on my own, and so I receive the good gift given through the person of Jesus who came and lived and died and rose from the dead, who, who did all that was necessary to take my sin. And the hope that we receive 
we can offer. Give us courage to do that. Whomever it may be that we encounter, whether they're, they're our family members, our coworkers, our neighbors, uh, our homeless friends, or whoever it may be, may we look into their face and say, wow, I can step into dark places because I have the light of life. Empower us. Encourage us. We want to know you. We want to embody you to be a light to the world around us. We believe empowered by the name of Jesus. Amen.